Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to finish the series that we're in today, or that we've been in, sorry, since the beginning of the month. It's called Amazing Grace, and grace is, in fact, uh, that. It's amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around it. The unmerited favor of God at work in your life is difficult to really, truly absorb. We use grace very loosely in our, in our language and in our culture, our southern culture in particular. But what does it mean for grace to be at work in your life? And more importantly, what does it look like for you to have grace vibrantly at work in your life? To have a passionate relationship with Jesus. Think about this for a second. Have you ever found yourself just kind of bored in your faith? I mean, think about it. You find yourself, found yourself bored? Found things to be dry? I know you have. Raise your hand if you've ever hit a dry patch in your relationship with God, right? Of course. If you've got little kids, it came quick for you. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb because all of a sudden time that maybe you were investing with God, you're fatigued, you're worn out, you don't have any measure of up and down as it pertains to your time. Maybe you got a promotion and a lot more is being asked of you and all of a sudden the rhythms that you once had are a little bit difficult. They're a little bit messed up. Maybe you moved here right? And maybe you were a student before, but now you're not. And, and you're working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And you're trying to figure out how to have this relationship with God. And you find yourself a little bit almost spiritually bankrupt. Well, what do we do about such things? We're going to scratch the surface today. And begin to expound on it in the next month's series called Hunger and Thirst. But today there is a grace that God affords you and I. It's an inviting grace. An invitation for you and I to come into his presence and to literally be changed. Not just once, but every single day. When the word says that his mercies are new. Every single morning, I have unbelievably great news for you. His grace invites you to literally have your needs met by him every single day. And that is amazing grace, is it not? But before we get into all that, turn to Exodus chapter 19, verse 2. Because there's an interesting principle that I think is worth us uh, making note of today. Because for most of us, we think that a relationship with God should be simple, it should be easy, it should be the snap of a finger. I pray God answers. I pray I hear. I pray God moves. Sometimes we have this kind of vending machine type relationship with God where we expect things to always be simple and easy. And I think it's helpful for us to understand that that's not how relationship with God always works looks. Exodus 19, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. Catch those words right there. Moses went up to God. He didn't take a cloud. He climbed a mountain. Okay. 
Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Now, the message this morning is not about what Moses has to communicate. So I'm not even going to explain that today. Moses climbs up a mountain to meet with God face to face. And then he delivers what God has to say to the people by climbing down the mountain. And then he takes the response from the people back up the mountain. And he relays it to God. And then he literally climbs back down the mountain. We see over seven times Moses interacting with God face to face. And we talk about this amazing relationship that Moses has with God. But we never talk about the steps and journey required for him to have that relationship. He literally climbed a mountain to encounter God Almighty. Dallas Willard, who is someone our team has been reading a great deal about the past year, he says it like this. Uh, he's, he's a great theologian, by the way. He says, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. And we forget this principle that, that while God, he doesn't invite us to earn anything from him, but he loves it when he sees a people who are willing to sweat and who are willing to work and who are willing to put their life into relationship with him. This mountain that Moses is climbing, well, you know what, let's back this up. Mount Kennesaw Mountain, 1,800 feet high, in case you didn't know, and it's paved. If you've ever walked Kennesaw Mountain, you will break a sweat like a champ walking up Kennesaw Mountain, and it's paved. I mean, nice, cute little paths all around, and everyone's got their, you know, speed walking all the way to the top. It's nice. It's convenient. And it's 1,800 feet. Mount Sinai is 8,000 feet high. It's 8,000 feet. And it's not paved. He doesn't have tennis shoes on. Okay? It's not even like they had a freshly, you know, gravel path. This is just you climbing up the rough terrain of a mountain to meet with God. Moses was willing to put in the effort. And I will bet money that any relationship you have, any relationship you have, a roommate, a marriage, your children, the relationships that you have and that mean the most to you are the relationships where you have put in the greatest amount of effort. Marriage, which is oftentimes the parallel of our relationship with God in the scripture, let me tell you something. It requires effort. Amy and I literally were taking our daughter out for her ninth birthday yesterday. We we're trying to get Chick-fil-A. The line was wrapped around the building oh, only about 19 times. We got there at 1029, which means there are 60 seconds left to get breakfast because 1030 is right there. Tensions are rising. I didn't get in the lane that Amy wanted me to get into, and she let me know. Oh, she let me know. She, 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 let me, she got out of the car. She went inside. And we're having this moment. She calls me on speakerphone. And I'm like, I don't even want anything anymore. I don't even want it anymore. 
Get whatever you want. I don't care. Right? We're having this, this back and forth, this bickering. She gets back to the car, and we're like, okay. <sighs> Let's just hit reset, okay? We've got to work through this. Caroline's in the backseat. Mom and Dad, are you guys fighting? No, we are not fighting. We are just disagreeing over biscuits. Praise God. Relationships require effort, and that's the small thing. It's insignificant. Relationships require effort. As I get to know my wife, as we've been married 14 years, it is my job not to let this relationship grow stagnant, but even after 14 years, to come after knowing her in deeper ways, more full ways, wondering what, is the, what are the secrets of her heart. And as I get to know her, even after 14 years of marriage, our relationship becomes stronger. I don't know a spouse that doesn't appreciate their spouse coming to them with a desire to know them more. And Jesus, God, the relationship with Him is no different. Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. And for many of us, our season is dry. Our season feels just empty because many times the effort isn't getting put in. I don't mean to say that it requires effort to become a Christian. Do not hear that today. But understand that continual relationship with God, it requires effort. Hebrews chapter 4. This is going to set things up for us. The Word of God is alive and it is active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's powerful. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. There's nothing that you're going through that He doesn't know. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews is written to kind of bring the Old Testament together to, for, for, the, for the Jewish audience to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the priesthood. And I can't get into all the details this morning of the sacrificial system that we see in the Old Testament or what the priest did in sacrificing animals for the sin of the nation of Israel. The blood that was spilt, the scapegoat that's sent out. Literally every single day, every single month, every single year. This is quite a job. 
But one of the themes that we see running in Hebrews is that Jesus isn't just a priest as in the old covenant of the priests. He's a new priest, a great high priest, the greatest high priest that you and I will ever experience and ever know. But rather than sacrificing a lamb, he became the sacrificial lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice. The Bible says that you and I, we're we're going through things. You've had some hard times. You might be in a hard time right now. You might be experiencing temptation in ways right now that feels like you just cannot get out from underneath it. And I have great news for you. There's nothing that you are experiencing that Jesus himself has not carried in some form or fashion. Sometimes it can be hard to comprehend that. As if, does Jesus really understand what I'm going through? He does. He understands what it's like to be rejected, to be lonely. He understands what it's like to need to encourage himself because discouragement is knocking at his door. He knows what it's like to not want to do God's will. He understands every single thing that you're going through, which makes Jesus unbelievably personal for you and I because he gets it and he understands. But understand where Jesus is not like us is that he experienced everything you and I experienced, yet he overcame it and was perfect, which makes Jesus not only incredibly personal, but it makes Jesus incredibly powerful. And so when we enter Because of Jesus, the most intimate quarters of God's palace, his very throne room, you and I have an invitation to literally come to the throne of grace with any and every single need that we have. And we are serving a God who is not distant, but personal because he gets us. And he literally, like Amy said, his very bones were wrapped with flesh. So that he might know, not only that we might know him, but that he might know everything that we're going through and overcome it. And so you enter his throne and and you experience the person of Jesus and you get to experience his great power. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy And find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is incredible, I'll say it one more time, in that he is like us in experiencing temptation. And unlike us, in that he overcame all of them. That makes Jesus both incredibly personal and incredibly powerful. And this is the grace he has afforded us. We get relationship with him. But many times, we just don't care to put in the work. We get that we can't earn it, but that doesn't mean you can't put in the effort. Amy and I, at our, for our 10th anniversary, we went to Paris. And if you go to Europe, there's castles like everywhere. There's palaces everywhere. And if you get to take a tour, you better put on your walking shoes because they're enormous. And I had this thought of things today or last night thinking about what it was like to walk around in these kingdoms. 
I actually think it's a great picture of American Christianity for so many of us. The Palace of Versailles is one of the single most unbelievable places you will ever be able to go. The measure of wealth that kings and queens had is literally, it's difficult to comprehend. The palace is so large, and it is so enormous. I have a picture standing in front of the fireplace. Just a fireplace. I don't know if it was like the hunting room, because there's a room for everything. And the, 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 the fireplace is literally like twice as tall as I am. It's huge. I don't even know what kind of wood you put in a fireplace like that. But you walk around this palace literally. This is not an exaggeration for hours and hours and hours. And the palace greens and the palace yards. And you rent bicycles because it's miles and miles long. And what's interesting is I could spend the entire day on the grounds of the kingdom and yet never actually enter the throne room and get time with the king. And for many Christians, we spend so much time around kingdom things. We spend time around kingdom music and kingdom things and a kingdom, you know, the, the, the church group here and a church group there and a, and a church book that I'm reading. And we have all of these things that are kingdom oriented and can, if you're not careful, you, you walk away thinking that you've actually had time where your heart is laid bare before God Almighty, but you actually haven't. You've simply been on the grounds of the kingdom, and it still requires some effort for you to lace up your shoes a little bit and begin to walk to get to the throne room of grace to spend time with Jesus. You have to put in some effort here. And that means you might need to get up a little bit early before work and spend some time praying and spend some time giving your heart to God again. Literally working in relationship with Him. I got up this morning on Sundays. I, I like to get up really early. 4.30 today. For some of you, that's like normal. But today I felt refreshed. Like just, yes, I felt good. Alarm didn't even go off. Got up, snuck, got my slippers on, went downstairs, fixed my coffee, sat on the couch, had my Bible open, praying. What's amazing, I felt refreshed 10 minutes before I sat down on the couch. And then I sat down and I opened the Bible and I immediately <laughs> just feel fatigued. Oh, God, my soul, so tired. No, you're not. This is literally how it works, though. Relationships require effort, and that means you've got to be able to shake some things off and say, okay, God, I am coming for you this morning. No distractions. Phone away. TV off. I am giving you my very best. Come on, bring it. I want to engage with you today. I may put on a little song and worship in my living room or before the kids wake up or, 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 or whenever it might be before I go to bed. But you get my best. I am not satisfied with a relationship that is simply status quo. I want more from you than that. 
And that means it's going to require a deeper level of effort than you have currently given. If you want to go to new places with God, it's going to require new things from you to get there. It simply is. Same thing in any other kind of relationship. If you've sat down, have you ever gone to a counselor with a spouse before, with a friend or something like that? They begin to ask you questions that are forcing you to open up further and to go deeper. Sometimes you like that and sometimes you don't. But it allows you to go to places that you haven't currently gone. There's no way I'm going to make it through all this. But I'm going to start. Whatever I don't make it through, I'm going to write about and post it or email it out or blog it out. But many of us have mountains, much like Moses, that we have to learn to climb. At points in our life to have greater relationship with Christ than we've had before. There are mountains that you've got to climb. And if you're not willing to go there, you're just not going to get the fullness that you need from Jesus. Here's the, the first mountain that, that requires some effort for you and I, and that's learning to overcome the mountain of entitlement. Because this happens a lot as, as you grow in your faith. You, you, you grow in this, this equally nasty thing called entitlement where you think that somehow you deserve this. You're approaching a throne, might I add, and remind you of, of grace, unmerited favor. You do not deserve to be able to walk into the presence of the king, but thank God Jesus has made it available for you, available for you. But understand, it's an amazing thing. It's subtle. Entitlement creeps in. All you have to do is look at your children who, who maybe they have an iPad and they've, they've been able to play on an iPad for three, four days. The, the fifth day comes and there is just an expectation that I should get this. And if I don't get this, I'm going to blow a gasket on you, mom and dad. No, no, no. What you don't understand, little child, is that you have been afforded this. And there is only one heart disposition that you are called to have in this moment, and that is gratitude and thanksgiving. And when our lives are filled with discontentment, we're never satisfied, we're never thankful, we're never able to get on our knees and say, God, thank you. I don't deserve this but you've made a way. God, remind me of when I got saved three years ago, four years ago, 14 years ago. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Or far be it from me to be entitled before you to carry pride into your presence. Lord, it is a privilege that I do not deserve, yet you have invited me to the throne of your grace. I choose not to forget it, Lord. 
It's amazing when gratitude and thanksgiving leads your relationship with God, how much more energy you have climbing up the mountain to meet with Him. See, entitlement, entitlement brings this spirit of just, I'm frustrated with you, God. I kind of expected you to do this, and, and you haven't done it. What's the deal? You even hear me up there? What's going on, God? We have these expectations, and when expectations aren't met, we, we bring our frustration to God. I did this, and therefore you owe me. Slap machine. Transaction. Entitlement. There's another mountain, and that's the, they all kind of bleed into each other, the mountain of apathy. When we were heading into the end of this year, one of the things prayerfully that we were addressing in our church was that we sensed that the Lord was, was really putting His finger on, was that we as a church were going to address apathetic Christianity in 2020. One of the reasons we're coming out with Amazing Grace and next month's series is Hunger and Thirst. How to cultivate a deeper hunger for more of God. He who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. But many times we're not hungry and thirsty. We're simply hungry and thirsty for other things. And we've grown apathetic in our relationship with God. In other words, ah, it's good, it's great. You just exist. You take it for granted. Sometimes the invitation that you've been given to experience God, it's free. And you know how things are that are free? Think about it. What's something you got that's free? Think about it. You don't need to shout it out, but just something that you got recently that's free. Free things have an unbelievable tendency to be taken for granted. Which means you've got to cultivate that, that zeal, that passion, that white-hot hunger for God. Far be it from me to simply be nonchalant about the God that I serve. He is powerful, and He is great, and He sent His one and only Son to die for me. I better not forget it. You know, what's interesting, I, I had a funeral that I, uh, I conducted a funeral last week. And at the funeral, you know, people come up and they're sharing their favorite moments. And you know what's so interesting about these kinds of, of life celebrations is that the things that people are most sad about, that when living they took for granted, are always the simplest, smallest things. And so there were stories of this person's, they would call and they would leave voicemails. And it was one of the recurring themes that the people were going to miss most was the smiling, the turning up of the music and always knowing all the words to the songs, driving around town in the car. And the silly voicemails that they were no longer going to have again. It's one of the things I miss most about my dad. 
who died at 51, he would call and leave me a voicemail. Good Lord, I can't even tell you how many times he would do it. And I miss it. And sometimes when you have something and you're used to it, you're comfortable with it, sometimes you roll your eyes at it and you think, oh, you know, this isn't that big a deal. It isn't that important. It actually, it's the very thing. If you will stay fresh over, thankful over, gracious about, it's the smallest things oftentimes in your relationship with God that will help you overcome the mountain of apathy. The little, the little blessings. At our pre-service meeting, we like to start things off by describing what are some great things that are happening in your life right now. What's a win that happened this week? Because if you can learn to thank God in the small, everyday wins and the small, everyday victories, it keeps that relationship with Him alive. It keeps your eyes fixated on Him and allows you to be thankful and looking to Him as the God of your life. God, far be it for me to grow cold. Far be it for me to grow apathetic. God, I'm thankful for oxygen literally in my lungs today. I'm thankful for that my car got me to the, to the church on time today. God, I'm thankful that you're moving in the lives of my friends. I'm thankful that I got saved at 13 years of age. God, I'm thankful. In these little things, it's amazing what it does when you can thank God for the little things, how much more you're alive and ready for the big things. What's God doing in your life? How do you overcome? How do you walk up the mountain of apathy? You begin by seeing him in the little things and rejoicing in him. The joy of the Lord is my strength. What do you need to walk up that mountain? Strength. Rejoice in the Lord today. Decision time. It's 11.15. Mark, you can come on up wherever you are. We're going to get to these other two, but it won't be right now. I'm going to go ahead and mention them to you, though. First one that, that you have to overcome in your life is the mountain of entitlement. Mountain of apathy is next. And then sec third and, and fourth is the, the mountain of shame and the mountain of lordship. So many times we find ourselves, we, we've had this pattern of not going to church, and then we're afraid of what people are going to think when we come back to church, and people are going to, they're not going to know my name, or they're going to wonder where I've been, or they're going to be, they're going to be upset, they're going to care. Nobody cares. They're happy to see you. They're rejoicing in what God's doing in your life. It's so great to see you. Good morning. Shame has a way of keeping you locked up inside so that you don't want to get in God's presence because you're afraid of what he might do in your life. As if God is Zeus on Mount Olympus getting ready to throw down the lightning bolt. And I have great news for you. The Bible says that God loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, the Bible also teaches us that there is nothing, 
that can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing too high. There's nothing too low. There's nothing too far to the right or to the left. Nothing can separate you from God's love. You can't do it. You aren't strong enough. You're not powerful enough to somehow outpace, outrun God's mercy and grace and love for you. You can't do it. And that's great news for you. Because the Bible says that you have been adopted as sons and daughters in his kingdom. Which means even though you've blown it, you still have a standing invitation to run into the throne room of his grace. My kids come into my bedroom at all hours of the day. Now I realize we have boundaries, but my kids still, they know who they are. They're a son and daughter in the house, and when they are scared in the middle of the night, they come barging into my room. Most of the time, it scares us half to death because the door comes open with such force. If one of you did that, barged into my bedroom in the middle of the night, there would be problems. We would have trouble quickly. You know who I never had trouble with? My sons or my daughter coming into the throne room of my house to experience the comfort and grace of their father. There's never a problem with it. Oh, yeah, I may be tired. I may, in my earthly flesh, roll my eyes and think, again. But that's why it's such great news. God in heaven isn't like me or like you or like your mom or dad. He's perfect in every way. And you have a standing invite as a son and daughter into his presence. And that means, church, you have to be willing to reject the spirit of shame in your life. And own who you are. This is who you are. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what somebody has said. I don't care what's been spoken over you. You, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a son and a daughter in his kingdom. And you kick down the door every single time you want to get into the presence of your heavenly father. You charge it. You kick it down. You come at God with everything you've got. And you know what? He doesn't grow tired. He's not frustrated. He loves it when his children pursue him with effort. Father, thank you this morning. You're good and you are gracious and kind to us. You're gracious and kind and good, Lord. And because we're human, Lord, sometimes our heart begins to grow cold or apathetic or we fix our eyes and hearts on other things. Lord, help us today. 
hearts today, Lord. It's in the name of your Son.